Welcome to the Authentic Dentist Podcast. Join Dr. Allison House of House Dental in Scottsdale and Sean Zayas, founder of Zana, a company helping dentists extend their care beyond the chair as they lead dentists deeper along the journey of authenticity to reach greater fulfillment in their professional lives and to deliver remarkable patient experiences. At the core of the Authentic Dentist is a belief that the answer to the current challenges in dentistry is dentists discovering that their greatest asset and point of differentiation is their personal brand and that forming that brand out of their authentic selves is the best strategy for success in dentistry today. So this podcast is brought to you by Zana. And Zana makes electric toothbrushes, but it's more than that. They have a program that'll grow your practice with their electric toothbrushes. Hey guys, this is Sean and Allison uh, here with uh, the Authentic Dentist Podcast. And um, back by popular demand, a lot of you guys really liked our one episode uh, with labor law attorney Denise. And um, we kind of discussed exactly how to navigate this current crisis because a lot of people are looking for answers and there's just not a lot of clarity on where to find those answers. So um, we just want to welcome you again, Denise, and say thank you so much just for uh, spending this time with us. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you and to uh, give some information to our listening audience. Denise, we really appreciate this. You're always so wise and calming, and we really appreciate you taking time to do this. Well, thank you so much for your kind words. Uh, so Denise, I'm, I'm even just curious, just starting out, like, um, I don't know, like, at what rate has legislation even been coming out to try to keep up with the new demands that are put on just because of this pandemic? It has been amazing to see Congress act as quickly as it did with the CARES Act, with the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Uh, we'll see how this new uh, federal legislation to bolster uh, the CARES Act is going to go, but uh, it, it has just been amazing to see how quickly uh, Congress has acted. Uh, looking across the nation, uh, state legislatures have certainly been busy, but I'll tell you who has just been amazing are the governors of the states with their executive orders. And it it has just been phenomenal. Uh, Here in Arizona, we have many, many executive orders addressing all kinds of details involving this pandemic. So it has been very impressive to see what our nation's governors have done. So for our listeners, today is Thursday, April 23rd, and our governor here in Arizona has done a, a mandate that we're allowed to open on May 1st. Is that correct? So elective surgeries can take place uh, starting here May 1st. And here it is. I know. I mean, things are moving really fast. Yes, they are. (laughs) Okay. Some of the things that people have asked me are um, their employees are making quite a bit of money at home on unemployment. And some employees don't want to come back. If their jobs are offered to them and they don't come back, what happens? Well, 
the thing is, is that if the job is offered to them, then they're not fired anymore or laid off anymore or furloughed anymore. So uh, they're not on unemployment anymore. Uh, and uh, they're, they're going to need to return. And uh, they can. The, the problem is with really low-wage workers. Uh, and fortunately, that does not apply to most of your listeners out there, but anybody who makes less than $15 an hour is not going to have any incentive to get off of unemployment. Well, so Denise, that's the interesting thing. Uh, a lot of the support systems in the dental office are kind of lower earning positions, and it's not based off of an 80-hour uh, full-time, um, you know, twice a week a reference. It's based off of 60 hours or 30 hours a week. So that's where the unemployment um, coming in at like a normal full time, when you take the wages and, you know, not divide them by 40 hours, but divide them by 30 hours, it, it kind of can, a lot of the support, I guess, in the dental office can fall in that category. Okay. And so those folks are, are going to be uh, mightily motivated to stay on unemployment. And uh, the thing is, is that uh, you've got to make it clear to them that uh, they have a job and make it clear to DES, uh, the Department of Economic Security here in Arizona, which handles unemployment, uh, that they uh, have uh, their job, especially if they've been on furlough, that they've been recalled from furlough, they've been recalled from layoff, and uh, they have a job. And if they turn down that job, then uh, they don't get the unemployment. Now, I think the moral of the story here, in the long run, as we reopen the economy, is that we're going to have a lot of workers out there who are going to demand $15 an hour. Yeah, I can I can see that might be a challenge. Hmm. Uh, so for the dentist and small business owners, if they communicate with their team member and say, okay, um, we are ready to have you back, things are open, um, you know, the new normal is here, and that worker doesn't want to, the small business owner or dentist needs to contact the Department of Economic Security and say, uh, this individual that's been receiving unemployment uh, officially has a job extended to them, isn't taking it just so that kind of funding gets cut off. That, that would be the case. Basically, you would be protesting the unemployment at that point for wow. that individual. And I think that the thing to do is to tell the individual that, to say, look, we've got a job here for you, and if you don't want it, that's fine, except that uh, you're not going to get unemployment to sit home and collect, uh, collect a windfall. Uh, basically, because uh, there still is, now, not to the, the huge extent that there would have been if, if you were on the hook as a small business for the entire $600, but there's still it's still against your uh, experience rating uh, to have that. Oh. You know, so the, the thing is, is that it's in your interest to uh, be highly communicative with these employees and say, look, We've got your job back. We don't want that job back. I want to sit at home on unemployment and, you know, binge watch Netflix. Well, 
no, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not how it works, folks. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, we, you we just do need have to let them know. We do have a couple of challenges, though, with some because we are dealing with a pandemic and we're in a dental office. So we do have employees that are afraid to come back because they're pregnant or they're immune compromised. How should we handle that? Well, here's the thing, and we talked about this when we were together last time. The modern dental office is like a, a, a surgical suite in a hospital. Uh, you keep everything meticulously clean. <laughs> and the thing is, is to reassure employees that when we invite them to come back, that we say we're taking every protocol that is not only recommended by the CDC, but also recommended by the Dental Association and by best practices. And, of course, we're following all the OSHA guidelines. So that's important. If an employee is pregnant, then uh, does her doctor say that she cannot be in this environment? And if that is the case, then she would be entitled to the um, Families First uh, Coronavirus Act, a uh, response act, the FFCRA, the emergency paid sick leave, you know, because her doctor says she cannot be there. Same way with the employee who's immune compromised. That, uh, But she would need a doctor, a health care provider to say that. And if not, then, you know, she's not entitled to those payments. Uh, moreover, as you know, those payments are capped. Uh, they're capped at 80 hours. They're capped at uh, uh, $5,100. So the, the concept here is the employee who says, I'm too scared to come back. Well, what are you scared of? If you're immune compromised, is there a way we can make uh, an accommodation? And, of course, if you've got 15 or more employees, you need to make an accommodation under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Same way with our listeners who may have 15 or more employees if the employee is pregnant. We may need to make accommodations under Title VII of the Federal Civil Rights Act. But uh, this this concept of, well, I'm, I'm just too scared. I, I don't want to come back. And if it's an irrational fear, um, that doesn't cut it. Can you talk a little bit about the law you just addressed? I don't, I don't know much about it. So the uh, the FFCRA, the Families First Coronavirus uh, Response Act, this is the law that came out be- right before the CARES Act. And this is the law that says that every employer of less than 500, and I would presume that's all of our listening audience here, you have less than 500 employees, every employer has an expanded uh, Family Medical Leave Act to uh, include only one group of people, and that is people who have to stay home and cannot work from home, um, but they have to stay home because their children are out of school or um, out of daycare. There's no daycare. There's no school to take care of the kiddies, and that's the, that's the only reason they cannot work. That's one group of folks, and they're entitled to an expanded family medical leave 
um, which for the first two weeks is unpaid and the last 10 weeks is paid. Again, those folks are going to be few and far between, okay? Because, again, the only reason they can't work is because the kids are home from school and they have to be under 18 and uh, there's no daycare. Then there are the the other folks who get the emergency paid sick leave, again, 80 hours, emergency paid sick leave, paid at full rate if it's for your own health condition or you're living with someone that you're taking care of for their health care condition. And if you've got the kids at home and whatever, it's two-thirds of the pay. All of this, by the way, for our listening audience, you can find at dol.gov slash agencies slash WHD slash pandemic. And that's an excellent website because it's got all of this on there, okay, and how to deal with it. By the way, everyone needs to post the poster that is there at that website for the FFCRA, and the they're, they're very uh, specific reasons why you get uh, these particular benefits. Okay. Okay. Uh, could you just repeat the the website uh, URL one more time, Denny? You bet. It's uh, of course www.dol. That stands for Department of Labor. Dot gov is of course the federal government. Slash agencies slash WHD, that stands for Wage Hour Division, slash pandemic. And that is that is my go-to because they've got FAQS on there. They've got, of course, the poster you get there, the laws you get there. It's, it's really a... a Great, great website. So, thank you so much for that. One to, that really to helps. Mark. <laughs> to mark on your uh, uh, yeah. handy one here. Okay, and the, the just to go over those, uh, uh, there are six reasons, qualifying reasons for the emergency paid sick leave. Number one, if you're quarantined, okay, uh, and you can't work. Uh, number two, you've been advised by a healthcare provider to self-quarantine, and that would be our gal who's pregnant or our fellow who's immune compromised, okay? Uh, number three, you're experiencing the symptoms of COVID-19 and you're seeking a medical diagnosis. This happened with one of my clients here recently. Um, and those the first three, you get paid full rate, and the next three, you get paid two-thirds rate. Two-thirds, caring for an individual subject to a quarantine order. Uh, number five, caring for the kids. And number six is kind of a, it's a catch-all because it says, any other substantially similar conditions specified by Health and Human Services, and they haven't specified it yet. So in any event, um, this is uh, this is the poster that you need to put up, and it's got all of that in it. So. Can we go back to the pregnant employee? Because the pregnant uh-huh. employee, it's not really a two-week quarantine. I mean, she might be out for six months. Are we paying her for that six months? Nope. You don't have to. And for those of our listening audience that you have 
50 or more employees, that would be the Family Medical Leave Act that, you know, but that's only 12 weeks long. So if we have an employee who's pregnant and her doctor says, I'm sorry, she needs to be out for the the balance of the pregnancy, and it's, you know, she's got five months to go on the pregnancy, then it's your choice whether or not you wish to hang on to her uh you know, after that time, and if you do, uh, job-protected uh, leave of absence uh, might be the way to do it. Um, many times I suggest for small employers to have a personal leave of absence, which gives you, uh, in your employee policies, which gives you an awful lot more flexibility when you've got these kinds of cases. Of course, those of you with 15 or more employees need to understand that under Title VII, there, you cannot discriminate against an employee because she's pregnant. On the other hand, the U.S. Supreme Court recently told us that just because you give an accommodation to one group of people does not mean that you have to give it to everybody else. <laughs> so, again, uh, with a pregnant employee, a lot depends upon uh, what her doctor has to say and what else is going on. But uh, to me, the bottom line with our listeners out there who are in the dental field, you guys have squeaky clean workplaces. <laughs> it's, it's not like some places where, you know, people are going to be exposed and, and really run a huge risk. You've got lots and lots of protocols in place. And, and we do. There are some concerns, though. We do not want anyone to come in that's sick, an employee or a team member that comes in sick. So if someone comes in, they run into fever, we send them home. Are we going to need a test, a COVID test, in order to um, pay them for the two weeks? What if they have a 24-hour flu? Well, yeah, good, good uh, practice, I think, would be to tell both your patients and your employees the same thing, and that is, if you're sick, we can't see you, okay? As the patient, we can't see you if you're sick with the employee. Oh, I want to come to work. Well, you can take their temperature, and even those of you who have more than 15 employees out there, the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, issued some guidelines here recently, and yes, you can take your employee's temperature, okay? You need to do it in a confidential setting and that type of thing. But the, the concept is with your employees, if they're sick, you don't want them coming to work. I, I totally agree. Uh, totally agree. So, so I have two questions. One of them, uh, Denise, is related to um, the poster that kind of has the six conditions. And I think um, one of the situations I have with one of my employees fits probably on uh, number four where they're caring for a family member. So I just talked with my employee. We've been trying to get through this, and she gave me permission to kind of share the situation in a broad sense. And that is that right after um, kind of like the shelter in place, although I wasn't that word, but right after that, uh, Edith came out from uh, Ducey, I, I talked to her and I said, hey, you know, you can come in because we're an essential business, but I know you live with your mom and you're a primary caretaker. And she's like completely 
uh, underlying conditions, like actually just developed lung cancer, like she's completely high risk. So my, um, my employee decided not to come into work. Um, so we didn't fire her. She voluntarily left. And right now, I don't think she actually has, that her mom has any sort of written thing from a healthcare provider saying that she should be, that she should be quarantined or something like that. Um, is that just what she's needing so that she can get some sort of uh, unemployment from the Department of Economic Security, or does she not qualify for unemployment because she voluntarily left just to protect her mom? Well, I think that in this situation, she is taking care of someone, and uh, again, it would be very pleasant if mom, in this case, had something from the doctor that said she should self-quarantine okay. because of her lung condition. And I'm going to go back here. Number four on this uh, Families First Coronavirus Response Act, emergency paid sick leave, uh, caring for an individual, so it could be her mom, yeah. subject to an order described in one, which is the stay at home, or self-quarantine as described in number two, which has been advised by a health care provider to self-quarantine. And the idea is that this person would be getting sick leave, your employee would be getting sick leave pay from you. She would not get unemployment. She would be getting sick leave pay from you. Now, if you furloughed her, okay, in other words, you said, well, you know, as long as you're home with mom, you, we're not going to pay you. Uh, I'm going to furlough you, and as soon as this COVID crisis is over, you can come back to work. Well, in that case, if she were furloughed, she would be entitled to unemployment and not to the sick leave, okay? So a lot depends upon how you would classify this employee. If she's still working for you um, and you know, maybe she can even work from home. If she can work from home, she's not entitled to unemployment or <laughs> the paid sick leave, okay? But if she can't work from home and she's taking care of mom and she's still on your payroll, if you will, then she fits within number four here on the qualifying reasons for leave uh, for emergency paid sick leave. And the, the beauty of paying that is that uh, you get a tax credit on that as an employer, which is nice. Okay. Um, so that kind of leads straight into the PPE loan. But just before we go right there, so let's say an executive order comes forth, and I'm not exactly sure that's what Ducey's recent um, elective services, uh, you know, I don't know if that's considered an executive order, was it? Yes, it is. Okay, so if that comes out, I, I don't know if any specifics in there it said something, but I think it was mentioning something about uh, dental practices now needing to test for COVID. Now, does that change the CDC guidelines? Because if if practices don't have access to test kits, does that mean that they can't legally open? So, Sean, um, the Arizona Dental Association and the ADA are handling that. Um, okay. You can't so have a mandate a that is impossible to fulfill. Right. That's what I was wondering. I was like, how, because then it almost seems like, how do you enforce that? And how does the labor laws enforce this when it's not something you guys can put in practice? 
we're handling that. That'll okay. be handled before May 1st. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at the executive order right now. It says the Department of Health Services here in Arizona will establish minimum criteria, uh, including dental surgery providers must demonstrate in a request for an exemption from the stay-at-home. Continuing supply of personal protective equipment will support the facility, which, of course, you you have. Adequate staffing and bed availability. Of course, you've got that. Implementation of a robust COVID-19 testing plan to test all at-risk healthcare workers and okay. each patient prior to the scheduling of an elective non-essential surgery or during the preoperative time period. Robust testing plan to test all at-risk healthcare workers. Okay. And each patient. And I think that will be a standard at some point, but since we don't have tests, it's not a, it's not possible. Unless you're going to order a million tests. Okay. Yeah. So the short-term fix would just be to let patients that have any sort of symptoms, they just can't come into the practice. That is what we're discussing, yeah. I'm I'm looking also here, folks, at an implementation of a universal symptom screening. Of course, that's taking their temperature, enhanced cleaning process. You already have that. Policies and procedures, appropriate discharge planning. You've got that. Uh, Policies and procedures prioritize elective non-essential surgeries based upon urgency. Okay. Well, yeah, it. It, it basically says you got to test all your patients. You don't have to test all your workers, just the at-risk ones. And again, we don't okay. have a million tests, so we can't test our patients. But that would certainly be nice at some point to have that. Right. Um, I, I have a couple more questions about um, just if the entire office was exposed. Let's say a patient did slip through and we found out that they were sick, would we have to close down the office for two weeks? Maybe, maybe not. A lot depends upon, did the patient develop COVID? Um, Or does this person have symptomatology of some other kind of disease? Um, You know, and I, I think, we need to look at this in terms of what if you had a patient who came in with another contagious disease? What would you do? Well, you would go around and figure out where did this patient go? What did he or she touch? Um, What uh, types of, of things are we dealing with here? Now, we know from the literature that's out there and the, all the, guidelines and whatever that COVID, how COVID is transmitted, you know, by, by air uh, with these little droplets and the droplets get onto the surfaces and live there for days, but they, in the air, they only live for a couple of hours on uh, certain uh, surfaces. They only live for a couple of hours on certain surfaces. They live for days. So do we have to close the whole place down? Um, I don't know. And I guess uh, I would imagine my speculation imagine, is no. Yeah, I I think what you would do is let's let's assume that you had some some noxious substance that a 
Well, you you clean it up, right? And I think you do the same thing here: is you clean up, make sure that if there were any points of contact with this person, that you've identified those, and and go forward. And and that is my assumption too. You know, we've been dealing with HIV since the '80s, and certainly we find out later that someone has been had HIV that we've worked on. But because we've been diligent about all the protocols, we know. We know the rooms are clean. We know we're safe. And it's terrible for our patient, but it isn't. it doesn't affect us. And so hopefully we are keeping our operatories and our, our people that safe. So, Allison, did you want to pivot? to uh, PPP before we close, or did you want to show that? Let's definitely talk about PPP because, wow, lots of questions. Can you give Um, us a little overview? Okay. Uh, Paycheck Protection Program loan is through the SBA, and the the beauty of these loans is they are forgivable. Um, I'm going off of an article that came in today from the Phoenix Business Journal. We'll plug for them. It says nearly 20,000 Arizona businesses have received PPP loans, collectively worth $4.85 billion during the first round of funding. And, of course, we're assuming there will be a second round of funding. As you folks know, uh, the money all ran out after 13 days. Um, the uh, article here goes on to give some ideas uh, to business about how to get loan forgiveness. And uh, frankly, the whole purpose behind the PPP is to give business money to cover the cost of keeping people on the payroll. Okay, that's the concept. And the more employees you hang on to on the payroll, the more the loan will be forgiven. So the Business Journal talked to this fellow named James Lozano, uh, who's in CFO for Hire, and he says the following uh, for best advice for businesses to get loan forgiveness is, number one, to lay out a plan. Uh, Remember, this loan is for eight weeks. It's not for any more. It's for eight weeks. So he suggests putting an eight-week calendar together. Number two is to set up a new bank account. Uh, now, please understand, you're dealing with Uncle Sam here. So, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny of this. And he's saying don't mingle it with your regular operating funds. Uh, thirdly, he's talking about creating a spreadsheet, um, a special log or spreadsheet on this to make copies of all important documents and keep it in a forgiveness file. And work with your payroll company on this. And that's really important no matter what you do uh, with respect to either having the loan or having these payments of emergency sick leave and whatever is all of these are going to be treated differently than you normally treat payroll. Okay? So everything is, is different. But the bottom line with uh, the PPP loan rules is Read the fine print. (laughs) Spoken like a true attorney. Read the fine print. (laughs) Read the fine print and realize there there is one big 
disadvantage in a PPP loan. And that is this. And this was brought up by one of my clients recently, and I think it's a good point. And that is you're bearing your soul to the SBA, okay? <laughs> and the SBA is Uncle Sam. That's the government. And the government has something called the Freedom of Information Act. And, gee, do you want other people knowing about how you bared your soul to Uncle Sam to get some dollars? So the thing to do is to make sure that whatever you tell these people, you get some kind of agreement of confidentiality so that, and, and we know the dental business is competitive. And you sure as heck don't want other people, your competitors, to come in and say, oh, gee, ABC Dental got all this money, and look how they did it, and look at their assets and whatever. You don't want that. So it's really important to realize that, you know, other folks are going to be looking at this information. And sure, these are forgivable loans. It's 1%. And the, you know, you think, oh, this is free money. But like Milton Friedman used to say, there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> so you would advise for sure those people that have a, you know, good relationship with their payroll company or have access to their CPA to definitely make sure that they get um, this brief from that professional in their life to make sure that they're not missing anything. Right. Okay. Read the fine print. <laughs> well, Denise, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I feel so much better. I think lots of our dentists are going to feel much better. If someone had a specific question, how could they get in touch with you? Well, best way to get a hold of me is email. I'm Denise, D-E-N-I-S-E, at azlaborlaw.com. And happy to, happy to talk with you. What I'm really interested in and would love to participate in in the future with you two is reopening our practices and getting back to work and what the economy is going to look like because I think we're really not going to be like we used to be. Mm. Uh, there's not going to be a normal again. Uh, there's going to be something that's different, and I I would really like to get other folks' ideas about that. And for your listeners out there, if you've got ideas about this, please share them with me. <laughs> well, stay tuned. That's our, our topic of next week. Yeah, and just I just also want to thank you, Denise, because even the way you opened it up, you gave a shout-out and honored uh, our leaders, especially just the governors. And that's just something that Allison and I uh, have such a fondness for because it, it's so easy just to sling mud at the ways that leaders aren't doing things perfectly, but to just have that, that grace and the understanding and even wisdom just to see like they're doing such a great job um, with what they know and trying to manage all of it. I just thought it was awesome that you led with that. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Well, Leadership is important, and uh, I I really enjoyed the podcast that you folks did on leadership, and especially leading in these times. And it uh, it really makes a difference. Well, hey Denise, thank you again so much. It's been a pleasure. 
Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Allison. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Authentic Dentist Podcast. To join Allison and Sean on this journey, hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Here's to your success. Express yourself fully. Live authentic.